You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, host of Food for the Future, a weekly podcast that brings the humanities to today's food dialogue by showcasing everyday people trying to make a difference. This show is part of the series Back to the Future. I share stories from family farmers, conservationists, and artisans who spend their lives conserving agri-food traditions in hope of a simpler and better world. We'll be discussing the role of community gardens and planning with Marie Benz, gardens manager from The Loving Spoonful. Welcome, Marie. Hi, Peggy. Thanks for inviting me to join you on the show. I'm happy to be here. We are so excited to have you, Marie. Marie, can you tell us about Loving Spoonful? It is a lovely name. And how did it come to be? So actually, there's a bit of a background there. So uh, there's a person named Zalman Yanofsky, who was the founder of Shea Piggy Restaurant, which is an upscale dining restaurant in Kingston that focuses a lot on local food. And they founded it way back in like 1979. And Zal was the singer and guitar player for this 1964 rock band, which is the Lovin' Spoonful, where, you know, Lovin' has the apostrophe instead of a G. And Zal was much beloved in Kingston. And through the restaurant, he did a lot of work raising money and awareness for a bunch of different like social justice causes, including food security organizations. And Zal died in 2002. And the executive director of Loving Spoonful at the time, Susan Bellier, consulted with Zoe, Zal's daughter, who's the current owner of Shea Piggy and Panchancho, to see what she thought about it. And she thought it was a nice fit and that Zal would have loved it. So while there's no formal connection to the band, the name is meant to evoke something like the passion that Zal demonstrated in being a little bit larger than life and advancing social justice causes in Kingston and elsewhere. That is such an incredible story. You know, we kind of hear when we're trying to cheer someone on, we'll say, go, you're a rock star, but an actual rock star. And so what a wonderful um, way to name the community garden, wonderful legacy. So can you tell me a little bit more about Loving Spoonful, the garden, how many acres and staff and what do you grow and that kind of thing? Yeah. So Loving Spoonful is a good food organization. So the gardens is one component of the different work that we do. So there's a few different streams. Uh, We have the community kitchens, really just offering people the opportunity to learn how to cook and share skills and knowledge around cooking, cooking on a budget, those kinds of things, and using local food. And then we also have local food access programs where we offer local produce, high quality produce to people through pay what you can markets and also at our local food access stands, which are no cost. Uh, So we have affordable access and no cost access to foods. And then we're also teaching people how to grow and produce foods using what we would call agroecological method, which could also be called sustainable or regenerative farming practices. And we do that on a small scale in community gardens, and we do that at a large scale at the community training farm. So there's a few different streams, but we're considered a good food organization, which is categorization from an organization called Community Food Centers Canada. Um, and I mean, we adhere to these different like good food principles and ways of relating to community, but really using food as a vehicle for social transformation and community building. Wonderful. So that good food designation is an indication, one of the national network that you are participating in, but also there will be requirements for whether that's that agroecology, whether that's that social mission, there'll be a whole bunch of standards in order to be a good food garden. So that really sounds wonderful. And where can listeners find more information about that designation? So they could go to the Community Food Centers Canada website, and they can also look at it through Loving Spoonful's website, www.lovingspoonful.org. 
Okay, wonderful. And the designation again is? We're a good food organization. Good food organization. Okay, that's fabulous. So can you tell us a little bit more about the Community Harvest Initiatives and how they work? Yeah, thank you. Uh, So Community Harvest is the name of two of our programs because the two pieces of what we have now separated out into markets and gardens came from a single grassroots organization that had the same name, Community Harvest. So Loving Spoonful took on the work from this organization in 2022. I came with Community Harvest into Loving Spoonful because I've been working for Community Harvest since 2020. So we run Community Harvest Gardens, which are basically community gardens, except instead of being like plot-based, like you would think of as a regular community garden where you pay or you lease a little bit of land and you go and you use shared infrastructure, that's generally the kind of model that people use in community gardens. The community harvest gardens are communal gardens, so everything we do is collective. So I manage the gardens, make the crop plan, order the seeds, organize the seedlings, everything like that, keep the watering schedule, and make sure that everything gets done. But we work together with various community members and staff, and then we also bring in different school groups and programs from other organizations where people want to learn how to garden and have experiences in the garden or sometimes just show up for a work beat. And then everything that we grow at those gardens is distributed to community through these community harvest markets, which is like the other piece of the program. So the community harvest markets uh, seasonally. So from May to October, we have three markets a week and we try to have them in decentralized locations. So we don't have everybody come to one central hub. And that's one of the things that Loving Spoonful that we think about a lot is we don't always expect people people to travel to us. We try to meet people where they are and meet them in the neighborhoods where they live. Mm-hmm. And the community harvest markets are considered a dignified access model. What it means is that it's a farmer's market, but it just has one vendor mostly. One of our sites has multiple vendors, but two of them are just community harvest with our own produce. And everything that we grow is really high quality because a bunch of us, including myself, have worked on organic vegetable farms in the area for years. And so we've come to doing the actual gardening and production work with a high standard and with like a lot of efficiencies and understanding how to hydrocool the vegetables after they're harvested so that they're going to have the longest possible shelf life and all the different pieces. Can I just ask you, Marie, that term hydrocool, that would also help with food loss and waste because if it keeps the, the produce fresh longer, then it doesn't go to waste sooner. So what is that? It's very simple, but it's super important. So hydrocooling is the process when when you've harvested something, put it in cold water for about a minute to three minutes. Any longer than three minutes, you actually don't want to keep it in the water anymore because it'll start to absorb water and then the cell walls can break and that can cause damage in a different way. But if you, for example, you're harvesting your spinach in the morning, you dump the spinach in water, submerge it, keep it under the water and kind of gently shaking the water and shaking the spinach to get any of the like soil off. So it's part of the process of washing it, but the idea is that the water is very cold. So you want to be able to take the field heat out of the vegetables by submerging them in cold water for one to three minutes, and then making sure after that, that you keep them in the shade and then put them in a cooler. And that process, especially for things like greens, is going to be able to cause a shelf life change. If you don't do that, your greens are only going to last a couple of days. If you do that, it can last about three weeks. And a lot of home growers will be interested in that tip as well, hydrocooling. And I like what where I interrupted you, you were talking about dignified access and going out to various spots in the community as opposed to having someone dependent on travel to get to the community garden. Finish your thought on that and then I have more questions. 
So the dignified access piece, one is about presenting this high quality of veg that's got this long shelf life. And also, so I would say it's non-certified organic, but high quality produce. And then the other piece is that through this program, people pay what they can. So it's called pay what you can is the affordable access model. So every item on the table is zero to $5 and everybody's treated the same regardless of how much they pay. So if they come up and they take six things, they put them in their bag and they offer $2, they're like, thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. And what we think is also important in the dignified access model is that people get to choose what they like. And hopefully it also right. offers them the opportunity to choose different things that they may not necessarily always have access to. So yeah, Community Harvest has these two different pieces. And the other thing I wanted to say, I'll just add to the hydrocooling piece is that you can't hydrocool everything. So if people do want to try hydrocooling, they should look online and find the lists of like things you should hydrocool, some things you absolutely should, and some things will actually damage, like you wouldn't want to hydrocool a tomato because you'll damage the tomato. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you for that clarification. So look into online what hydrocooling works for. And uh, it's a wonderful tip. And thank you for clarifying the dignified access piece. And that really builds community. Everyone goes and gets their fresh produce. And it's it's part of the overall mission in the nation right now. There's so much going on with not just the national food policy. Everyone's thinking about school food programming. Everyone's thinking about food security and insecurity. And so the community emphasis, the real aim is the benefit of the community. So it's uh, wonderful to have you here, Marie, from Loving Spoonful. And so can you tell us a little bit more about how much space do your gardens revitalize in the space that you have and what do you grow? So this is a bit of a tricky question because our various Loving Spoonful programs, including our community harvest gardens and community training farm, I think is about 2.25 acres in total. But then one of our other programs is that we also convene the Kingston Community Gardens Network. And there are 35 member gardens, all of which vary in size and scope. And so I don't have the numbers for that. But at the community training farm, we try to grow staple produce. So things that you would really expect to see at a market. So onions, potatoes, carrots, tomatoes, kale, you know, all the things, lettuce heads. So at the Community Harvest Gardens, we grow staples and we want to um, teach people who come into the gardens, especially our regular participants, how to grow food themselves. But we're also trying to attract people who are newcomers because one of the ways that we consider our work is that we want to be attracting marginalized populations and supporting them. In Kingston, we see a lot of people in this one particular neighborhood where one of our community gardens is. So the Community Harvest Garden there, we consider our experimental garden, and we try to grow foods there that would be culturally significant to newcomers because we want people to have a sense of when they approach our tables at, at our markets that they feel like they're at home. Like these are foods that are familiar to me, and these are foods that I know how to cook. So that's something that we also try to consider. I think that's uh, really important. And part of food security is not just the availability of any food, it's availability of food that you want to eat. So I think that's a really great point. And wow, what it sounds very um, well organized, a network of 35 gardens across the Kingston area and collaborating and sharing ideas. That's fascinating, Marie. And thank you so much for sharing your inspiring work. After the break, we'll talk more with Marie Benz from Loving Spoonful about garden planning for spring. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts. Welcome back. I'm Peggy O'Neill, host of Food for the Future. We're speaking with Marie Benz about spring planning and building community. 
Marie, this show is part of the series Back to the Future, where we look at agri-food traditions and things that have brought people and communities across our nation together and that we still really look forward to in today's busy digital world. So trying to grow enough food for everyone in our own local communities is an age-old activity. And what's happening at Loving Spoonful to prepare for spring to make sure that that happens in the Kingston region this year? So this is a very busy time of year for us, as you might imagine. So with both our community training farm and in our community harvest gardens, those two separate programs, we're doing a lot of crop planning. So that means you're looking at all of the space that you have available and deciding how much of everything you're going to grow. And when one thing is ready to harvest out, you're ready to put in a succession planting. So planting something else that's going to be able to grow in also within the growing season in that same bed. So we're doing crop planning, ordering our seeds, and we're also doing soil amendment planning. So we take soil tests and we determine which elements are missing in the soil, in the chemical composition of the soil. And then we order different amendments that are going to um, improve the soil quality so that the vegetables have all of the nutrients available in the soil that then the microorganisms in the soil are going to be able to connect back to the plants, um, which gives food the delicious flavor, right? And so the more nutrient dense your food is, the more delicious it is. Sounds very sophisticated. It's not just a harvest. Like I think when I plant beans, well, that's it. The beans are done and that's that. But you could also put in spinach or kale or something after those beans beans grew and you could continue to have multiple harvests off the same same land. That's right. Yeah, that's the idea with succession planning. So, I mean, there's succession planning in terms of land access, but then in, in terms of just your garden, it's succession planting. And of course, different crops are better to grow at different times of year. So you, you would grow some early spring crops first, putting in your spinach and radishes and peas and all the things that grow in colder weather. And then as those things get harvested out, you're replacing them with like the hot season crops. And then again, in the fall, you can do more of the cool season crops. Okay. Very, very interesting. It sounds like such exciting work, although busy, as you mentioned. I'm wondering, what is one of your favorite parts of spring planning for the Community Harvest Garden at Loving Spoonful? Well, I'm actually really starry-eyed right now about our food forest. We put in a grant application last year and received a grant to be able to design and put in a food forest. And that is how we'll be able to grow fruits and nuts, which hopefully is going to be something that in a few years we'll have great production and be able to supply those things on the table as well at our market stands. Um, so I've been designing a small stretch of space where we'll be planting trees and other compatible plantings in the spring. And I'm really excited about like actually having the physical plants to be able to put them in the ground. And I think that Really, like when the plants mature, this will allow us to better serve our community by offering additional types of foods at affordable prices. And so in today's, you know, busy and digital world, it's so nice to know that you're out there, Marie, starry-eyed about these plants that are arriving and that you can't wait to see them go into the ground and watch them grow. I mean, it, wow, how exciting, right? And a food forest, is that a term coined by the Kingston team that submitted the grant? Or is that a term that's starting to come up in um, horticulture, agriculture? Yeah, I wish I had the background history to be able to provide for you, but um, I've been hearing the term for a few years now, and I'm sure people who have been involved in different types of food production would have heard it for longer. So there are mm -hmm. orchards, which we're familiar with, but a food forest is a little bit of a different model than an orchard. So while you are putting in fruit trees, you're also trying to connect different kinds of plantings that then provide different roles in an ecosystem. 
So for example, you would put in like an understory planting with annual like nitrogen fixing legumes that will help build the soil mm -hmm. and you put in a bush, like a low kind of area planting. So maybe you would put an elderberry bush mm -hmm. and then next layer up would be your fruit layer and then you can put in a top layer that would be the overstory of the plantings which I would be like a taller tree you plant things a bit closer together than you would in an orchard and you're also trying to imagine it as like recreating an ecosystem so the right. food forest is a model where when you go in it doesn't feel like an orchard when they're mature they feel like you're in a forest I mean, I think that's an excellent way to produce food. I'm not trying to say anything negative about orchards. I actually see the concept. And while you're talking, I was just thinking how absolutely delighted I am to know that this is all going on and that you have dedicated clearly your life to it. You're a real expert in this, not just in design, but in the whole concepts and philosophies behind the things you're talking about. And how wonderful to know that there's still people that we can connect with and jobs that we can create and work that we can do that is in this line of, you know, food forests and community gardens and that kind of thing. So it brings me to what this show really is about, which is we try to bring humanities to today's food dialogue. And because this is a back to the future show, we're talking about traditions, which is part of history and our heritage and things that we like to bring forward back to the future. And I'm wondering, how do traditions help expand community gardens? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So, I mean, there are cultural traditions, right? So different types of food grown by different cultures. And so my immediate thought is to go to talking about those traditional foods that we grow at our experimental garden with Community Harvest to grow culturally significant foods to newcomers. So for example, last year we were growing collards, bitter melon, mizuna, bok choy, and we would have people coming by the garden and saying, do you have any sweet potato vines? Because the year before we were doing sweet potato vines as well. So then we were like trying to make sure we get the sweet potato vines. So these specialty foods that really make people feel like they're at home with us. Um, and I really yeah. imagine what it would be like to be uprooted and starting a life in a new place. And that finding foods that remind you of home, that you know how to cook, would add a lot of pleasure and feeling of belonging to a community. Lovely. Yeah. Fantastic. So this show is called Food for the Future. And Marie, what role do community gardens play as a way to help create a brighter future together? I think there are just an incredible number of benefits of being involved in a community garden. You know, people talk about like having increased food production and access to food. Um, they talk about having better nutrition and an improved diet. And they talk about both social engagement and physical activity as like major reasons that like make them feel really good. And of course, you know, there's a lot of like, you're out, you're in the soil, you have this connection to the land, and you also are moving your body and then you're connecting with people around you. So it's a very positive experience. So I feel like there's a rich set of benefits in all of our lives from working in community gardens. And I feel very lucky and grateful for being able to have the job that I do because I feel like I'm, you know, living this like in some ways quite a dreamy existence of like I get to grow food. I get to work with people who are really excited about it. And so I think that, you know, there are challenges, of course, for community gardens and for organizations like Loving Spoonful. And some of that is around funding and participation and access to land and access to materials and supplies. But I think that the benefits outweigh the challenges. Right, right. And you've inspired us all today. Um, we've gone from uh, rock star heritage to starry eyed about this uh, spring planning to this dream. And you can tell that you absolutely love this work. And so good to know about the good food recognition and status that many people can look into and find out about. And Marie, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share? 
I mean, so overall, we're seeing many more folks keen on growing their own food and food for the community. And I think like at Loving Spoonful, we find ourselves in quite an interesting position embedded both in the daily and seasonal community garden work and involved in the process of mapping out a future for our city, the city of Kingston, that involves more spaces to grow food and easier ways to get involved in food production. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today, and I've been really happy to be here. Oh, thank you, Maria. It's been a sincere pleasure. And you've given us all a lot to think about the 35 Garden collaboration, the food for us, just the way of life, the dignified access, so many things that we all want to discover and reach for. And you've helped us find some of those things today. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show and for all the encouragement that you've given all of us. Thank you. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Marie Benz, Gardens Manager at Loving Spoonful Community Garden, about planning for spring. Each week, to keep revitalizing our communities together, we leave you and your family or friends with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about? How could you contribute to your community's local food activities? Something to do? Visit Loving Spoonful to see how one community garden team is using local action for global encouragement. Next week on the show, it's the series Food for Thought. We'll discuss life and leadership in agri-food. Don't miss a show. Subscribe on Curious Cast and all other major podcast platforms. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, and you've been listening to the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our Platinum Elite Level sponsor, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts.